and Happy New Year to you. That's right, it's Trey Bond, and we're back for 2022. Trey Bond. Let us say Trey Bond. Don't change the introduction on yeah, us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you forgotten what we say? He panicked. Yeah. He yeah, panicked, did. didn't he? Do you I want did, another... very much. We didn't get I to did. do our call and response. Yeah. Till we do. All right. Hello, folks, and welcome to Trey Bond. Trey. No, another episode of. Hello, folks, and welcome to another episode oh, yeah. of Trey Bond. Yeah, like yeah. a boring old clod. It's what oh, people hello, want to folks. listen to Harvey, straight after look, the theme song. Giving you yeah. what you want. Hello, folks. It's Jake here. And no! welcome. No! <laughs> it. Let's move on. Move on. Trey Bond, everybody. We're back. It's been a while. <laughs> we are back. Did you miss and us? We hope your week has been Trey Bond because guess what? It has for me. Oh, really? Yeah. You were kidnapped by the Taliban. <laughs> yes. Don't you love what they've done with the place? Oh, just... Yeah, it's very chic, very intimate. Good that they're uh... letting me record, though. It's not true what they say. No, no, no. They've been very hospitable. I should um... lay back on the wine. <laughs> <laughs> now Darby's going to be the drunk member of Trey. Oh, yeah. Yeah. New Year, new him. He's passed the bottle. Folks, me, what other nonsense have we thrown you all into? Um, Brandon, why don't you tell us what nonsense our mission is today? Oh, no, Jake. mate, you've got to introduce us first, yeah, buddy. I, I think oh. you need to introduce me before you uh, you do that. I have multiple titles. Uh, Darby oh, has You've already started talking and you've thrown me off. This is a balls up. Mm. You made me sing the theme song. Um, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Jake Spear, as you know. Your favourite. Yeah. I'd like to introduce my two other dirty devil best mates that join me week after week, or in this case, several months after several months. Yeah. Uh, first of all, it's double O Derby deck, everyone. Ah, I'm not usually second. No, you're usually first. I'm oh, first. Okay, well, yeah. there you go. You're first. Don't make me do Well, it technically again. you are second because you go after Jake. Because oh, Jake yeah. introduces himself first. Second comes right after first. Second, the best. Third, the worst. Speaking mm. of, uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's our MI6 expert in the field, the sound with the golden pun, who also has a gun, a car, and a drink. And we only talked about this today. What's the other ones? There is another one, isn't there? Because I yeah, won yeah, yeah. the big fat quiz of the year. No, yes. but also you take great pleasure in what you... And you take great pleasure in what you read. That's right, I do. But you won the quiz as well. This is a real mess, fellas. This, this is a mess. A mess. <laughs> Why did we come back? <laughs> no, because everyone wanted us back. Yeah. No, I'll did tell they... you why we really came back. Yeah, yeah, why? Because we're going to be reviewing 2018's <gasps> Forever and a Day by Anthony Horowitz. Jake, where's I your copy? You on your yeah, on your phone, on your phone. Because I'm a modern boy. It's called a book club. <laughs> <laughs> I read with my ears. Yeah, okay, fine. Because I can't read with my eyes. Actually, I've got a bit of news, gentlemen. Uh, when oh, you yeah? say uh, read with your ears, I jumped yeah. on Audible and I listened to a good chunk of this uh, on Audible as well, reading along. And when I was in the car, I would just listen read along um right yeah i would read along while driving <laughs> um now we did that a year ago that's an old joke 
Oh no! <laughs> you can't double up. No, new exciting news. Look, I could be off the mark here, but when last we were reading the Ian Fleming uh, novels, the Audible covers were different. And when I was on there today, I was kind of scrolling through the rest of the Ian Fleming books because I had a couple of credits that I had to get rid of before they expired. Blah, blah, blah. You don't need to know that. Uh, that's my business. <laughs> I don't know if this, this quantifies as news, mate. The covers have changed. Yeah, that's not news. It, it's huge that. news. It's for the, I think it's something to do with the whole 60th anniversary this year. Because the last the time they changed the covers was for uh, the sixty was for the fiftieth anniversary. Uh, the last so time they did the sixtieth. Ten years the, since they changed the covers. You recommend more or less, yeah, on Audible. Yeah, more or less. It's on, the same you've been recordings. Track of Audible specifically. Hmm. You've been keeping track of Audible specifically. No, I popped on it today. I had to, like you I said, I had on. to spend credits, and and I popped on it today, and I was like, what the fuck is that? They're, these covers cover, are in though, black, white, and red. And I was like, that's yeah. pretty spunky. I wonder who did those. And then I clicked through the link and it was like, wait a minute, I already own this one, but that's not what my edition of Dr. No looked like. And then I Googled it and I couldn't find anything. So maybe they haven't announced it. Maybe I'm breaking the news here. Maybe <laughs> this is a Trayvon exclusive. This is Trayvon exclusive. Do you think that this means, if we may speculate, hmm. uh, that they're going to change the DVD home media Blu-ray covers? Well, may I uh, pick a bone here when we talk pick about uh, these these home media releases? I am yeah. sorely disappointed in what uh, the excuse for home media release we got for No Time to Die. Inspector. And Skyfall. Elaborate. No Time to what? Die has no fucking commentaries. Oh, really? There's none. And Kerry Joji Fukunaga is on record saying that he recorded one. So, Eon or MGM or Jeffrey Bezos or whoever's, you know, fucking me over here. It's the 60th anniversary. I want physical, hard copy, 4K releases of all the 20 films. I don't want to get fucking Apple TV. I don't want to get Amazon TV. I want them in my hand. You want the 4K as well, don't I you? I want them in 4K. <laughs> <laughs> and I want commentaries. I want all the special features that have been released previously with the special editions and the ultimate editions. I'm not fucking around. I want Spectre to have some goddamn featurettes. I want Quantum of Solace to have some goddamn featurettes. Where's the deleted scene from the end of Quantum of Solace? Why haven't we seen that yet? And no time to die. Are you serious? You spend all this money on an awards chase. Where'd that get you? Well, we don't know. The Oscars are coming out as we record them. It might have done very well. And if so, we're barracking for you. Go, you good thing. But if it failed... Hi, you will rue the day. You could have spent that money. You could have spent that money on making a good fucking 4K. Spent a lot of money on those steel books, though, mate. A lot of money. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I want my money's worth. <laughs> no, they spent they spent all the money on the steel books, producing the steel books. No, 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 no. no. You're not happy with the steel books. No, because I bought Apocalypse Now, the Redux. And and it has it was in a steel box books 
book, book. Actually, can I take the floor for a minute? Just a note on steel books that I've never vented to anyone, but Please. something you'll appreciate, I'm sure. When you line them up with your other Blu-rays, they look ridiculous. They're a little bit taller and they're thinner. Uh, I keep them separated by a divide. Right. That's how I get around it. <laughs> Check. I don't know what. Well, I don't know what to work well for my OCDs. No, but I'm serious here. The last yeah. good. Home media release for James Bond was Casino Royale. That was the last time they did it well. And it coincided with, it came out around the same time or just after, I don't know, as the Ultimate Edition DVDs, which have a fairly dodgy remaster, but... That's another thing. You know, the old films that got the the bad remasters, um, redo those while you're at it. Fix that up. Well, I think they have because oh. the 4K editions of these films are now available bloody on Apple TV and stuff. But I just want them in physical media. Look, that's... That's Brandon's eye horse this week. legitimately did not mean to uh, talk about that. I wanted to <laughs> release the, the artwork, Breaking Exclusive. You're welcome. You didn't release that. I did. did. Is, are you claiming that as an exclusive? Yes. <laughs> Yes, this just in. Stop the presses. Could be fake news, mate. It's not fake news. I saw it with my eyes. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Sorry. Where my are eyes. we in this mess? Oh, we look, we're up to. Oh, I do declare it's fan mail. That's right, gentlemen. It's fan mail. Ah, uh, do the people <laughs> love us, Brandon? Yeah, two people love us. We haven't <laughs> recorded since November. No. oh by the way ladies and gentlemen we are live on youtube as well uh please give us a like comment a subscribe tell your friends tell your family we're the number one podcast in the world um this first uh email is called unfinished business oh yeah and it's Who's from it our from? dear friend, Miguel Madrigal. Madrig. Big. What's he want this time? Dear Trey Bond, hello there from a huge fan. Madrig, known by you as DJ Madrig, which always <laughs> makes me laugh. I'm writing to remind you of some unfinished business or maybe an unfinished mission. Oh. What's this? In episode 43, way back in October 2020, in your ranking of James Bond actors, Brandon said that before he could definitively rank Daniel Craig, ah, yes, he needed to see No Time to Die and assess the whole Daniel Craig run. To me, that was very insightful, and I'm now very curious to hear what does Brandon think, and also what does Jake and Darby think? Did No Time to Die confirm for you that Mr. Craig is the best Bond ever, or... Did No Time to Die reveal something else? My personal opinion is that no, Sean Connery still remains the top Bond actor. Daniel Craig, in my view, never had the same joie de vivre that Sean Connery consistently brought to the role. And furthermore, I think Mr. Craig, most of the time, suffered from too much sulking, which is not what I want from my Bond. I remain very interested in your views. A loyal fan, Mamadrig. Thank you very much for for that. Who wants to go first on that? I'm not. Uh, Darby does. 
Darby you know, does. Yeah, or I, think I got in does. there first, mate. Oh, God. Mm. Um, tough question. Tough question. I don't want to. I don't want to say something I'll later regret. Where was Craig on your when list? Better to stop you. I can't remember. Uh, were you Craig number one? I think you were. I think yeah. you were Craig one and Connery yeah, two. Of, I love a bit of Craig. Mm. Um, Has that changed after seeing Na-ta-ta-ta-da. No Time to Die doesn't bump him, doesn't give him extra credit. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe hurts him a little bit, but at the same time, you know, Connery did Diamonds Are Forever and he was asleep in it. So, I mean, this isn't as ill an offence. I didn't love I didn't love Daniel Craig in No Time to Die. I did like him a lot, but I didn't love him in it. And mm. I thought, as we mentioned in the review, the film felt like a Daniel Craig film rather than a James Bond film with a lot of places. So slips down a little bit, but he's still my number one Bond. Still your number one. What about for you, Jake? You were Connery number one. And Craig's yeah. Craig two or three? Craig Craig 2, I think. I think that's right. I think Rosa, despite my love of Bros. Um, but I agree with Darby. I don't see how No Time to Die would bump Craig up. I think, if anything, it does hinder him slightly. Oh, really? So yeah, I think so. I, I just I spent a bit of time today listening back over our previous episode in preparation for the fact check. And not that I've seen it again, but it did bring back a lot of memories, mostly fond memories. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, I, I think as time goes by, it's not one of his best. It doesn't, uh, I don't think my rank has changed. I would say Craig is uh, still the number two. Um, It's such a razor-thin margin between him and Connery for me. Um, But Connery's first four films are pretty friggin' fantastic. Um, And Connery really doesn't miss a beat in any of those first four Yolt, mm, I can take it or leave it. It's not his best work. Um, Diamonds, I actually really enjoy Connery in it, but he's not very... Oh, no, he is Bond, but it's more a comedy Bond. It's like a spoof. It's a pastiche of Bond. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I would say No Time to Die. No Time to Die is not my favourite of the of the Bond, Bond films. I don't know if it cracks my top ten. Um, actually, but but who knows? No, I don't think it's changed my ranking. So I think mm. we're all in agreement there. Yeah, it doesn't change. Yeah. There you go. There you go. There you go, DJ. All right, moving on to Ryan Coon. Ahoy, oh. Trey Bond, boys. Is he a pirate? He is a pirate. Wow. Long-time listener. Actually, I think he is a pirate, if I'm wow. seeing this attachment properly. Uh, uh long time listener, first time emailer, writing to share a little discovery I made recently, though maybe you're already well aware of it. Welcome, welcome, first time emailer. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah. Thanks for emailing through the official channels. Yes. What if I told you that there was a film shot at Pinewood Studios, directed by Peter Hunt and edited by John Glenn, with a title sequence by Maurice Binder and theme song lyrics by Don Black, in which Roger Moore must foil a diabolical plot by a shady syndicate to disrupt the world's gold supply and send the value of their gold sky high. No, it's not a multiverse version of Goldfinger. It's 1974's Gold! A cinematic curiosity. That is... Oh, no, he's not a pirate. Free to watch on YouTube. Ah. Ah. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to say he's a pirate. (laughs) (laughs) But it is there. Uh, I just finished watching it and had to reach out to recommend it to you three based on your love and admiration for Roger the Hero. I think you'd really enjoy this movie despite its B-movie quality. Roger's love it more. <laughs> Roger's fantastic in it, though the rest of the cast is hit or miss. Uh, and the romantic subplot is pretty convincing. The action of the story is a little uneven at first, but the tension build is consistent and subtle until you're clinging on for dear life. Probably not a great fit for a podcast film review, but still worth a gander. Anyway, hope you're all just as well as can be. I can't say enough how much I've enjoyed listening to your podcast these past couple of years. Holy crap. Um, you boys are all you boys are all three genuine talents, bond or not. I can't wait to see what Kensington does next. Take care, Ryan. Hey. Oh, thank you very much, Ryan. We very will check nice. that out. We will check that yeah. out. Yeah. Really what is it gold with like six O's or is it gold? No, it's like just Matt gold capitalized. So I gave it a little oomph. Oh. Yeah, a little misleading. Huh? Oh, but, yeah. okay. I'm getting notes. <laughs> it's interesting. Roger's done a couple of um, sort of films. I recently watched. He did. Um, yes, he did a couple. A couple. Yeah. <laughs> just a couple. Just a couple of non-Bond films. Oh, I see. He was an actor. Yeah. Even. yeah, yeah. What's it called, Brandon? Threat Level Midnight? No, what's... <laughs> North Sea Hijack. That's it. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> North Sea Hijack. It's quite a good movie. It's, it's, it's not an... bad. Yeah. It's not bad. It feels like... It feels like it It wanted to be something like Die Hard. But yeah, was this st- one that you fellas watched without was... me or something? No, I haven't watched this with Jay. Uh, no, okay. I watched it by myself. <laughs> oh. Um... But it feels like it wanted to be a diehard, but was kind of stuck in the previous decade. What year was it made? Like eighties? Yeah, I think it's an eighties film. It's called. It just feels a bit behind. North Sea Hijack. North Sea Hijack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Roggy plays this um, sort of retired or semi-retired special forces operative who is running a kind of group of mercenaries in his training facility in Scotland or something. And he gets roped in by the British Secret Service to... For um, one last job. For one last job. um, To essentially make a plan for if one of these off-sea oil rigs were to be hijacked. Turns out that does happen. Loss prevention. Um, He was a loss prevention kind of officer. Yeah. 
Uh, and then he, Roggi and his team get called in to essentially save the day um, from one from these terrorists or pirates uh, from uh, holding uh, all of these people in this oil rig hostage for a ridiculous amount of money that I believe is said in the film to be $2,000 million. <laughs> is it? This movie was made before the invention of the word billion. Billion. <laughs> really? They say it multiple times. 2,000 million. Ridiculous. Wow. On, on a tangent, I was, uh, I was flicking through Amazon oh, Prime, yes. not a sponsor, and um, saw a movie called something. I oh, think yeah. it was Nightwatch, and it's a... Pardon me. Pierce Brosnan film from 1995, and it is bad. It's really? very, very bad. Yeah, it's I really bad. I think I think so, but it was one that he probably shot a few years prior, and then maybe they even, I, this is conjecture, maybe they, they even, like, released it off the back of GoldenEye. It's like, I, I tried to watch the opening scene, and I couldn't. I just couldn't. I, I, was, I couldn't do it. Oh, God. I couldn't do it. You should check it out. It, the opening scene's like a hostage rescue of these little girls, and they're like escaping a beach while a bunch, bunch of soldiers shoot at them, and Brozzy's acting his life out uh, to God try and make love the him. work. God love him. Hey, and, I tell you uh, what, Brozzy is absolutely incredible in. What's that? Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, 100%. yeah. Holy oh, yeah. crap. He's Same year? Before, 93. Oh. Ooh, that's yeah. what got him bombed. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Robin Williams was in talks to play the Bond girl. Yeah, nice. Very hairy Bond girl. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, gentlemen, that's it for fan mail. Uh, Jake, I believe yes. you are going to flog some nonsense. I beg your pardon? Flog some nonsense. <laughs> Give the people uh, what they want. Well, my wife's about to drive off to the gym, so we'll hear her start the car very shortly. Are we going to see your cave disappear as the garage (laughs) car goes up? (laughs) Out into the streets of Leppington. No, 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 pay no attention. Is that the first time you've said my wife? My wife. Uh, My wife. My wife. No, no, no. I've referred to her as my wife since we were married in May. Cool. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, it would be odd if he'd never said that before. Well, I was just wondering. I haven't heard him say it. It's like so. baby's Have first you? word. Oh my god, honey, he said it quick. Come, <laughs> Mawa, <Mama. laughs> Mawa, <That's> adorable. <laughs> Have you got now? Just before we we get into this, mate, do you want to just? rethink any of the names you've come up with just have one last go over them in your head or perhaps the whole segment or the whole thing no i'm very happy with my choices Mm. all right okay you have said that before and i think you will be too on the record here we go go. ladies and gentlemen this is everyone's favorite segment give the people what they want what you want. <laughs> the, yeah, the director's cut. Give the people title. what I want. Yeah. Jake Giving adds the people... half an hour to a podcast runtime. 
what they want. They do because look at the engagement we get. The votes. Yeah. People look at the votes. Well. Yeah. Yeah. So here we are. We've got three brand new segments up for grabs. Mm-hmm. These will be posted on the social media platforms. You can vote for them for your favorite uh, new segment. And uh, we'll get to do it for you uh, next time we decide to do this thing. So, yeah, but you're not going to make them wait because last, I just want to challenge the system now that the episodes are less frequent mm. because uh, typically we have one episode where you announce them and then we have one episode where we announce the vote and then we have, it's not till the third episode that we get to play the game. I think we, we economize this process yeah. uh, and we just do it next episode. I we just tell so you well. what it is yeah. and then you prepare it. Yeah. We'll take it to the board and see this what This is they... the board. Yep, this is the board. Seconded. <laughs> <laughs> the motion is carried. Oh, that happened very fast. <laughs> That's politics, baby. <laughs> All right. First new segment, folks. I call this one Live and Let Die Another Day. Live and Let Die Another Day. <laughs> We're hoping for a bigger game. reaction or a. <laughs> Is that about what you're expecting? I had a hold for a build. <laughs> <laughs> With only the alleged date and cause of death, contestants must name these well-known people who were falsely pronounced dead. Oh, okay. that's pretty good. Bondalum or just in the world? Just in the world. Well, just in the world. Uh, we, do, we do ask that the games are James Bond themed. Yeah, it's in the title. Not not just in the title, though. Yeah. See, with Recipe Guesser, you did James Bond meals. Yeah, so yeah. Can it, I'm sure you could you could scramble together a few falsely acu- accused. Is it accused of dying? Not accused, I guess. <laughs> falsely reported, maybe. Falsely reported yeah. uh, Bondian people. I challenge maybe. you. Sure. Definitely. If it gets through, I will accept the challenge and do my best to include as many Bond-related Non-victims. Exclusively. Victims of death. Yes. <laughs> Victims this, of false death. The way that this has gone so far, I'm, it's sure to be tasteful. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's if it gets through. It might not get yeah. through. Yeah. Might get through is a little segment I'd like to call Somebody Did It Better. This is Bond-related. <laughs> Following a list of hints... The little pauses after he says the title. I'll live for them. Uh, heartbreaking. Because <laughs> it's like a child showing you an art project and the, the parents not really knowing what to say. <laughs> a video makes it better. If you're watching this on the YouTube channel. <laughs> Somebody, Somebody did it better, huh? did it better. Oh, go on, Following champion. List... What'd you make? What, what, what's this? Yeah, this is what it's called. If you let me finish. Here we go. Following a list of hints, determine which famous Bondian stunt these real-life dirty daredevils were the first to attempt. Again, not really Bond-related, is it? What do you mean? (laughs) The Bond stunts! Oh, they are Bond stunts. So you mean name the stuntman? No, I'm saying what you have to do Mm. is that this is the title, right? Yeah. It's referring to nobody does it he better. I, I'm aware. Yeah, yeah. That one, yeah. that tracks so, so far. What I'm saying is that somebody did do it better because they did it first. Mm. So the same stunt that was done in the Bond film. Yes. You want it, it was done before a Bond film and you want us 
to yeah, do what? I'm going to give that. you a series of hints and then you have to determine what the stunt was that was done by this person. Oh, okay. When you explain it like that properly, uh, that's intriguing. <laughs> See, yeah, yeah. That's not bad. That's not bad. This You've may done, be right, your done best. yourself. Yeah, this, this may be your best. Good. Let's see if you can make it three for three. Hmm. If it gets through, if it gets through. That's somebody did it better. The third new segment up for grabs is where in the world is 007? You've said this before. Yeah. You've How done, have I? You've done this before because you've made a Carmen San Diego reference before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I haven't. I swear to God, you've floated this. Yeah. <laughs> Continue. No, this is using cryptic clues. You must determine the location of James Bond 007 and the film in which that location appears. Beat for beat. I remember this. I this has never happened before. This has happened. Beat for beat. Yeah. Sound off in the comments. <laughs> I'll fact check it. All right, recap. What are they? Go. First, first segment. Live and let die another day. You must... Uh, no, no, just the title. Just the title. Just the title. <laughs> Live and let die another day. Bang. Number one. Number two. Somebody did it better. Bang, bang. Number three. Where in the world is 007? Bang, bang, bang. There's the three segments, folks. Uh, if they don't make any sense to you, just rewind a little bit and, and you'll hear me explain yeah, them for the first time. Yeah. Um, vote away and we will see you next episode for your new Give the People What They Want segment. I gotta say, what I want. somebody did it better. I want that one to win. I think I want live and let. No, yeah, no, you're right. No, wait. What was live and let die another day? I can't rewind. People <laughs> falsely reported as dying. Yeah. Okay. I think that one sounds like it, the most potentially like controversial. So, like Jake will screw that one up. If right. To okay. Well, that, that's got my vote. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. It's got your vote because you think I'll bugger it up. Yeah. Yes. All right. All right. Yeah, yeah. No fun. All right. <laughs> we'll see. It's not up to us. No story yeah. today. Oh. Oh, who yeah. forgot to write a bloody story? Who indeed? Who indeed? Who indeed? Well, I'll tell you what, gentlemen. I do feel a little, little poorly, but um, I did have a story mostly written. I was, I was nearly there with it, and I was feeling quite good. Um, but you'll recall a few years ago uh, when we first started on this adventure, I had a strange experience when I was writing one of these things. Um, I was kind of, I had a, like a visitation or a, a, a sort of transcendental experience. Um, I spoke about it on the podcast at the time and I was visited by the ghost of Ian Fleming. Yes. Um, and he appeared again last night. He put a hand on my shoulder. I was right here as I was writing the story. And he said, he said, they're not ready yet for, for, for this. And, you know, as the torchbearer for, uh, Fleming's legacy, this, he had pointed it, uh, himself. Um, right. he said, save it, sit on it, uh, think about it. So, so it's um, Ian Fleming's fault. The ghost dog. His advice. His is advice. To, because I had done it, I had done the work. It's not that I that I haven't written it, like I haven't done anything. Right. Okay. Well, we'll see. 
We'll see if people buy this. Yeah, um, yeah. I put it to the people, and and just I would say to the people, just imagine if the shoe was on the other foot, <laughs> and and how would how would Double O Derby Deck behave if yours truly uh, might have skipped a week of storytelling uh, for you lovely people? Uh, would he be as gracious as Brandon and I? If brother goes to Ian Fleming, I would completely understand. It's a it's a surreal and profound experience, and uh, it's turned me into the writer that I am, that I was, that uh, that I will be. Right. Yes. That's I'll do that. All right. Sound off in the comments. <laughs> uh, I mean, I do partially understand i would hate to be on the wrong side of the ghost of ian fleming oh, if God. you're going to annoy uh, a, a person in the afterlife uh he would be one to avoid 100 percent, absolutely i'll do i'll do whatever he says which is why because i did say to him maybe i should i'll just do it anyway but no i'll stick to it and i'll i'll sit on the story in episode 0058 unless unless he comes back and says you know, hang on, son, not ready yet. Uh, still needs work. I don't think he... I've got a feeling, but I don't think that ghost is coming back. We'll see. Was he violent? Not to me. Oh. Hmm. All right, I see. Well, we should probably talk about this off, off mic. Yeah. Uh, did you do the fact check, though, Jake? That's probably what everyone's But Here's a question about. that I'd yeah, like yeah. to put to you. Just yeah. to wrap this up, do you reckon? It's done. Do We're reckon... done. We've covered all that we can. This is. Let's move on. No, just one more. Just one sure, more. Sure, sure. Do you reckon Ian Fleming would answer a Ouija board? If we got one out right now, we got. No, I don't have one on me. But if we made one, because well, he's been I, we floating don't need around. It, mate. I'll just he'll visit me and we'll talk. We could just he's talk. He's been floating around the three of us particularly Darby, I think, if we go over to Darby's house and get a Ouija board out, do you reckon he would answer? Uh, I think it's a very real possibility. That's you, do you want us to do this? Do you have a Ouija board? I had I had one made up a little while ago, actually, just out of cardboard, and we summoned up one of my old mate's grandma's French teachers. Um, and it freaked the hell out of him. So I'd be interested to go over to Darby's place <laughs> and see if we can summon up Ian Fleming himself. All right. Well, we'll put it sound off in the comments. Jim, <laughs> your, your hobbies never cease to amaze. <laughs> but anyway, it, I think it's time for fact check. Please. And thank <laughs> you. I might call a fact check on that one as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> On what one? We're going to find your bloody yeah. I don't oh, think she's dead. Oh, he yeah. threw it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It well, I didn't want a French teacher floating around my house. I burnt it. <laughs> you did, didn't you? <laughs> Get rid of it. Fact check, folks. Please. From all the way back in November, back in 2021. Remember 2021? I do. What a dumpster fire year that was. Let's hope 2022 is a bit better. Don't say that. Don't say that because you just saying that is just tempting fate. You've already ruined it. Yeah, you've already it might, ruined it. 
it might um, it might make it better. Uh, last episode, um, you boys wanted to know whether or not Cyclops is the first Bond henchman to be known by two names. Yes. Dubs, you asked about, well, what about the Dove in For Your Eyes Only? Uh, and then Brandon asked, but is he credited? He went super kind of nerd oh, on us. Yes, yes, he got But also um, the Dove is not the henchman. The yeah, dove no, he's is not. the villain. Mm. Mm. Fact checked. Christatos. Christatos. Uh, but the henchman, uh, known as uh, Locke, who dies in the uh, car accident that's caused by Bond, is only credited as Locke. Mm. And, and the other guy, Klaus, is Klaus, Charles Dance. So what does the that answer have to do with... is? The answer is, um, I believe that Cyclops is. However, I did you come didn't across... do any research on this at all. I have done research. I have done research. Because I went through the IMDb credit list of all of the goddamn films this afternoon and the only red flag for me, oh, red flag, speaking of, is Red Grant because Red oh, yeah. Grant is credited as Donald Red Grant. So it could be, it could be known as Donald, Donald Grant or Red Grant. He is credited as Donald Red Grant. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. This, uh, I feel like we're going to get letters on this one. (laughs) I encourage it. All right. Side note to this. Oh, great. Did you guys know, and MI6 expert in the field, May, Uh did you guys know that Marvel published comics of For Your Eyes Only and Octopussy? Yes, yeah. Yeah, I think Brandon's spoken about that. I think we may have even talked about it on this podcast. <laughs> really? Perhaps. I don't know. <laughs> I was because very DC, drunk at the time. DC released a comic of Dr. No in 63. Hmm. Well, they were... Bond in the Marvel Universe, I'd be careful. Bond in the... Oh, God, imagine. I'd be careful. Imagine that. Imagine that Marvel owning Make me Bond. Sick. They wouldn't be good, would they? Oof. More of the same. There was a lot of Marvel in No Time to Die. That's very true. That is very true. Moving and, on. Yes, please. <laughs> you asked, do we see flashes of past film characters in the title sequence of Skyfall? Uh, we agreed that they do appear in No Time to Die and Spectre. But Brandon, pardon me, Brandon said, we do see Silver thrashing in a chair in Skyfall. Make sense? Yes. Um, I, re-watched, I rewatched the title sequence for Skyfall. We do not see any imagery of past characters. Not in the, not in the sense that we were talking about in regards to Honor Majesty's Secret Service and, and the way that we see them in Spectre. Um, however, you do see Silver's shadow pointing a gun at James Bond uh, on a brick wall. 
That's got nothing and to you... do with the. Uh... Yeah, because Brandon's saying you see Silver thrashing in a chair. You see a face. Silver's, the, Silver's in the film in Skyfall. Mm. Yeah. So that, but you're looking for past characters. No, the, yeah. the, the moment I'm referring to in, in that case is uh, there is a moment when Adele's going, ooh, uh, just before it goes into the, where you go, I go, into the coda, I guess you would call that. Is that what you would call that musically? Possibly. Uh, yeah. There is a shot of uh, we, we move in like this and there is someone in a chair and they're going... Now, it's not Javier Bardem, but it is Silver. Oh. I see what you did there. I see what you did there. I don't, I'm completely low. Now, I know, the, I know the moment you're referring to. It's very difficult to determine whether or not they're sitting in a chair, though. Wow. The face is moving. It's very tight. There's flames all around. Yeah, and there's and like there they're tied pressure. up across the... It's the moment he bites down on his cyanide capsule and he's like, ah! From his story boy, where he's like, do you know what that there's, cyanide there's, does? And he pulls his teeth out and he's like... Yeah. You boys see that there's two conversations happening like within this this one fact check though, right? Yeah. That like, yeah, yeah, okay. I'm just trying to... Yeah, because no this one from a previous account. film appears in Skyfall's title sequence. No, to answer exactly. the question is, do other characters appear in uh, the Skyfall title sequence? No. No. Not from other films. Not from other films. Yeah. Not from other films. Yeah. It's just Spectre and No Time to Die. Yeah. 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 And Oms. Um, what? what? On a Majesty's Secret Service. Oh, yes. I, I know what you mean now. The Oms title sequence. Thank you. Thank you. Brandon, you said the exterior shots of Goldeneye uh, in No Time to Die uh, weren't the real Goldeneye, but a constructed set. Yes, I stand by it. Mm. You should, because according to the Architectural Digest and their article published on October 7th, 2021, titled Inside the Sets of the New James Bond Flick No Time to Die, they interview No Time to Die set, direct, uh, set decorator Veronique Mellory, uh, in which she states that the house where Bond has retired to in Jamaica was built on a spectacular lagoon for the shoot and that she worked with local craftspeople to recreate a number of the interior furnishings. The exact location of the cottage built for the film is revealed in an article for Men's Journal stating that the oceanfront cottage was built at Frenchman's Cove, Port Antonio, Jamaica, and was dismantled after the film. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, no trace. Uh, and the last fact check for this episode, unfortunately. Uh, Brandon. Yes. You said that the name of the No Time to Die designer is someone Lalab. Suterat La Lab. Well done. Suterat and La Lab. Suterat. Suterat, yeah. Suterat. Yeah, S-U-T-T-R-I-A-T. Hmm. One of Danny Boyle's designers. 
costume designer we're talking are we yes yeah costume and the production designer um her and the production designer i believe dennis gassner fact check uh were not mark um that's right dennis gassner was the previous guy mark Mark ledsley ledsley one for the fact check yes that guy he and suterat had been hired under danny boyle and were building the sets and the and designing the costumes for the Danny Boyle version, but when Danny Boyle was let go, they were kept on and their designs stuck around. So there are parts of the Danny Boyle stuff that they were building that they oh. just repurposed for the new version. Oh, yeah, I know that because I got the uh, the making of book uh, in for for Christmas. You might have known it if you'd watched the DVD, but they don't have any special features. They don't have, yeah, they've got half an hour of special features and it's all about the fucking Matera sequence. Hello, I've seen it. <laughs> I was there. That's fact check, folks. That's fact check. Done. Fact check. Well done. Oh, that's Thank behind you. us. Gentlemen, that is the uh, preamble, the, the waffle out of the way. Now we get to the meat and the potatoes of it. Let me read to you the blurb from the back of my vintage fiction uh, edition of Anthony Horowitz's Forever and a Day, 007, a James Bond novel. The explosive prequel to Casino Royale. A lot of waffle, wasn't there? Yeah, but that's pretty common for us. It's what we do. A British agent floats in the waters of the French Riviera, murdered by an unknown hand. Determined to uncover the truth, James Bond enters a world of fast cars, grand casinos, and luxury yachts. But beneath the glamour, he soon encounters a dangerous network of organized crime. It's time for Bond to earn his license to kill. He must find those responsible and unravel their devastating plan before he becomes their next victim. Survive. Survive. How about we start with a uh, a three-word review? An excellent idea. Jake, you go first. Bloody loved it. Oh. Brando. Sumptuous. Sexy. Yeah! <laughs> uh, Mr. Say, Dick. Make this next. <gasps> oh. All right. So I'm taking it we all liked it. Yeah. I was thinking that this could divide us a bit, but... I thought Going it would as well. Going off these three-word reviews, it sounds already unanimous. So that's all for today, folks. Thank you for <laughs> Read it. It's a good one. Check it out. I might have a, an alternative three-word review that might strike up a little conversation here. You don't want to leave Sumptuous Sexy Yeah as your official? Oh, that's my official. But okay. this is more for, like, conversation starter. All right. Okay. Better than Fleming? I would absolutely say yes. I would say yes as well. Yeah. 
This is the best Ian Fleming book that Ian Fleming never wrote. A hundred percent. I cannot agree more. Yeah. No, this is a banger. It's a banger. Absolutely. Does everything that Ian Fleming does, uh, but with more tact. Mm. And uh, and just, I don't know, just more of a present modern voice. You know, it's something that we're all more comfortable with, I think, is the big thing that separates it from Fleming stuff, isn't it? Mm. I think it's just... Uh, you know, it's still the original uh, timeline. There's still James Bond is the same character. He has his same prejudices and, you know, early versions of his character flaws being the, the first time the character's really seen in canon. Um, but yeah, it feels so much like a Fleming, but it just does. It's, it was very satisfying. I think, were you boys worried about that aspect? Because it's pretty obvious from the get go that this is Fleming's Bond. You know that he's really working in that style and with it with that formula and it's all really well researched and solidly done were you worried about that or were you excited by it because i think i was initially a little worried yeah i i was worried um because it's been I've, I've read a couple of the other um continuation novels from the 2000s on like devil may mm. care Carte Blanche, although Carte Blanche is set in the modern day and is actually in its own timeline by itself. Um, uh, but like Carte Blanche, Solo, um, this uh, and, and, and what have you, they have gone for the Fleming style. And I remember liking Devil May Care as a kid, but also then rereading it again when I was an adult and not being able to finish it because it felt like a bit of a, I don't know, maybe a cheap imitation. Whereas with this, and so I was a bit worried that it was going to be that, someone trying to write as Fleming and it just kind of feeling like no voice at all. Um, yeah. But no, I there were times where I forgot I was not reading a Fleming and where I was just like, yep, this... This is this is exactly what I wanted. This is exactly yeah. what I want from these from these books, and it's it's what I haven't been getting. Um, uh, more and more, like we we were having that burnout with Fleming, um, particularly once we got to about Goldfinger, where we were like, why are we still reading these? Are we even enjoying them? Um, this, funnily enough, has reinvigorated me to keep reading on. Um, and reading all the way through to um, Solo, which is the the final one. It, I think it comes after um, the Man with the Golden Gun or something like that. There's there's another there's Trigger Mortis, which comes directly after Goldfinger, which is an Anthony Horowitz. Yeah. Um, Horowitz has another one, a third one coming out this year. I think it comes cool. out in May, so we should definitely. Um, get get to that one when it comes out didn't we wasn't goldfinger the last one that we read it of was, Fleming? yeah yeah so that makes sense that then the next novel we do will be trigger mortis trigger mortis yeah and then you think we're gonna we should continue with fleming on this well, we'll see, see how yeah. we feel because i really would love to read those short stories with you boys because i'd be interested mm -hmm. to see um because i think fleming would really knock the short story format out of the park smaller contained missions uh i think he'd get that much better 
almost vignettes, almost chapters. Yeah, you know, just contained little moment. Because you it was don't have time we... to get weary of yeah, of, of exactly. this world. Because yeah. you're was... doing. Oh, sorry, you go. Sorry. No, no, no. I was just. I didn't have a point. Oh, for goodness' sake. Um, no, but something we were remarking on with Goldfinger is that, and and Fleming himself had said that initially Goldfinger was going to be a short story. It was just the the canasta game at the at the very start, the first kind of third of the of the novel, and we remarked on it at the time. We were like, that was a terrific little thing, but then as it went on, it slightly stretched itself, and you could kind of feel that it it was falling apart. I never felt that with this, um, except for one chapter where I thought maybe we were getting a little too much into uh, Basil Exposition Land, uh, which was uh, the, the final dinner between uh, Sixteen and Bond, um, which I'm sure we'll, we'll get to later. But uh, what are your off-the-top uh the 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 thoughts that are bursting that are just banging at the door and saying let me out let me out i want people to know that i think this about this book about this book this this book has everything i want from james bond oh what is that jack flat out i'm glad you asked darby because i even made some notes Jake's oh. showing a little bit of leg for the podcast. Yeah, put as well it down, today. mate. <laughs> just, just the only fans. Just... No, only for the fans. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 All right. So we get great interactions with uh, M. Love a good M meeting. We get that. A first we, M meeting. We get a tour of MI6 which I just love, essentially seeing Bond's office and getting to know everyone for the very first time. We have Bond in a casino, which for me, the more I get on, uh, I feel is a, is a, is a must. Mm. It's a do not omit from a Bond film, please. We get undercover Bond, and I love a good undercover Bond, um, adopting other identities and going and, and actually kind of trying to infiltrate a place. Uh, we get, I believe, one of the greatest Bond women, I think. I'd be very keen to break down Madame 16. Oh, uh, not Monique? Uh, no, I, I, she is a Bond girl, but I, I wouldn't say she's the better of the two. No, okay, okay. Um, we might find We on get that. a torture scene. We get a bloody torture scene we in do. here. We do. We get a lair that's been booby-trapped and has guards. We get, um, we get a great, I'm going to say, uh, false big bad. Uh, we can get to that a bit okay. later on. Okay. Um, and we get Bond on a bloody ocean liner. There's so much class in this. There's big kind of set pieces. There's... Great espionage stuff, and like like Brandon said, this is a sexy this is a sexy story. It's classy. There's a lot of I. It's got everything I want, and I agree with Darby. Multiple times throughout me reading this, I was like, "Well, this is where you start your next new Bond film. This, do this, 
How do you think it, you go updating this particular story for, for a 2024 setting? This is rough because I'm really on the fence. I'm split down the middle about doing a Bond set in the 50s. Got to happen. Mm. It has to happen. I'm, I'm really on the fence. Best with the idea. Yeah, and this, I know you are, and I know Brandon's not that keen. Mm. But this novel was like, it makes fucking sense. There just seems to be so much of Bond and that world is defined by post-World War II England or the post-World War II world. Mm. It's like it really informs the motivations of organisations and agencies, mm. Bond and the baddies and everything. But if you set it back then, are you just making it irrelevant or kind of being like, no, nah, I can only, it's, why it's not bring impossible. it to the It's impossible for it to be irrelevant. I think it's impossible. I think um, it's what, just to your point, it's doubly fascinating because, you know, thinking of doing a, a Bond film set in the 50s or a series set in the 50s, and this book was written today in the 50s. So in terms of like adopting to genre and making it work and making it work for a modern audience, he's already proven that. And the storytelling, you know, I get Brandon's purist perspective about keeping Bond um, in his timeline, in, in his time and, and day. I do get that. And half of you know, a portion of me wants to also see that. But I also think that we're at a point in the franchise where you could, and in the world of filmmaking and the way people approach IP, where you could do a series set in the 50s, but then for the next Bond, come back to modern day. And I don't mm. think anyone would really bat an eyelid. And I think it's fresh and it's new and it's engaging and it would bring a lot of people to the franchise well, to watch period pieces. I must say, uh, like I have been pretty against it, um, purely because when it, when it gets brought up, not on the podcast, but when it tends to get brought up um, outside, like in the Bond community, sometimes they... I question why that someone wants to set it in the 50s because sometimes they're like, but then, then you can get away with Bond being a misogynist. And it's like, <laughs> hang on a minute. Why is that the reason that we're going back? Yeah. <laughs> but I will say this this is quite a thing that's happening. Uh, I've seen it on the James Bond Reddit. I've seen it on Bond Twitter a bit. Uh, people who are kind of going, well, we've done this thing now with Daniel Craig where it's a self-contained era. So what's to say that you don't do that in the next one and do a 50s set um, Bond? It's, it's, yeah. it's gaining a lot of public, public support as if this is, you know, the fucking election. Um, <laughs> but no, there, there's quite a growing number of people. And I will say this. You could twist my arm. You could twist like my that. arm. If you're going to make yeah. this, I, I, could, I could get there. I yeah, tell you what I, I mean, don't want to see, though, is mm. I don't want to see the Fleming novels done in the 50s. I want yep. to see your own stories in the 50s. Because there's, there's stuff... Having read this now, I'm like, 100%. Interesting. You wouldn't get 100%. behind a sort of... Um, because I think... I think there's a pickle there, Brando. I think you've opened up a, a can of pickles. Oh, Yes. Um, just in terms of what people what people might think about that, because I think to get at least a modern audience might to get them on board with the fifties from a marketing push, I think people will be very excited. 
but it would bring Fleming to the absolute fore in the public consciousness because that's when the novels are set and we've never seen this era of Bond on screen. We've only seen as early as the 60s. Mm. So I think that there is naturally a lot of creativity and a lot of like, personally, I'd be really interested to see um, them revisit. Hard to pick him out, but I don't know. All right, I got a lot of thoughts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think what they essentially, you know, get this over to Barbara, but they need to find, you know, a thread that they can follow. And I think that th that thread exists in Fleming's material. I don't think they need to do any work to figure out a new story. I think it's already all there. You know, whether it's the thread of um, Bond letting go of the war, for example, and then focusing in on the particular Fleming stories and concepts that center in on that thread, you know, and then there's your sort of through line and you can see the character throw. Uh, grow because for me like i would really love to see a faithful version of live and let die you know what i mean like mm. made today set in the 50s and it's got that that caribbean capery feel um you know and it's it wouldn't be in a direct adaptation of fleming because you'd have to, yeah, you have to modernize stuff, it yeah. in the same way that horowitz did but i think they should be getting on the phone to this guy and going, what do you think about steering a, a, a series of Bond films set in the 50s? Because he'd do a bloody fantastic job. I, I agree. I think, I think my, my reason I kind of am like, do some original stories in the 50s um, is that so much of the Fleming novels has kind of been plundered by yeah. the, the Broccoli Saltzman era. And, and I feel like if you were to... You know, if you were to have Mr. Big or Goldfinger or, you know, even Hugo Drax in that, I think they would kind of, for me, it would feel a little bit like, oh, are we remaking, are we remaking the, film. the films a bit here? Because it's like, you've mm. already done this in a movie. Um, whereas what, what I really loved about this is that I was like, oh, that's all the Fleming um, flavor, but in its own kind of... Um, new story i guess but how good i get you 100 percent. but how good would like the real version of moonraker be a hundred percent so you know so this this would be my my addendum to my thought there is that i think definitely use what fleming material hasn't been properly used like if they've done it in a film i think stay away from it but do moonraker just change hugo drex's name and don't call it I the moonraker. I think that would upset people. I think that would create trouble. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> I but I think you'd upset people too by going, "We're re we're doing Moonraker, but it's the proper one this time." And yeah, it's like, yeah. "Oh, my favorite uh, villain is Hugo Drax. Oh, which one?" Although I guess that's, think... that happens with Blofeld. It so does. Maybe, maybe and I mean, you could. I, I think I think we're at that distance where like people would accept it, and it would. I don't know. I I yeah, always you're probably think about right, like. Actually from a from a marketing sort of push how difficult is this to uh, communicate to people that don't know the ins and outs of bonds mm. of bond like how, how difficult is it to sell this concept you know i think it's only i don't know i think if hugo drax if they were to redo hugo drax they just 
as long as they don't do exactly what they did in Moonraker with the character. I don't know. Or, or as long as they don't try and reference that. Like, you you yes. just got to go make it very clear that, no, we're going for this sort of version of the character. Like, like if they were to redo From Russia with Love, which they could never do, that's off the table. But if they were, then you see the real version of Kamal Khan. Like, you bring back the character, but you go, he's actually a devious type. Oh, Karen you know? Bay, yes, yes. Sorry, Karen yes. Bay. It's like, you actually, and then you kind of have a bigger conversation with an existing character. And for an audience member, that becomes fun because the people that do know Karen Bay will then look at this new version and and they're not going, oh, he's the same guy. Mm. You know, they're seeing new shades of the character. I don't know. I think, um, yeah, I'm, I'm all like for it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and I think my arm could be twisted. I think my arm mm. could definitely be twisted. As long as we're not stuck in that era for 15 years. My, my thing would be, you can do three films, make them fucking count, have a plan going in, and get them all out in, in six to eight years. Six, actually, six. Um, particularly if you're adapting... Um, stuff like if they can make the lord of the rings trilogy in you know four years or however long it was you can do Maybe it with, they should with bond adapt adapt the three horrorwood stories well, that's what I'm thinking. Maybe, yeah, maybe they could. I think you're 100 percent right. I know it's technically not a fucking review of the film of the book, but it really is. They, whether they go to the 50s or not, they need to be getting. Horowitz in, even if it's just as an advisor. 100%. Consult because he, he already does movies and stuff, doesn't he? gets it. I think he does. Yeah, he's got that um, Alec Ryder series. His Alec Ryder books mm. got, I mean, got, first of all, adapted into a really, really bad film. Um, but there's an Amazon Prime series. I haven't seen the second season. I watched the first season. It was okay. Um, but he gets Bond. Like he's he, a smart bloke. He also just gets genre, so it's like I can't, mm. I'm just excited to read more of this guy's books now. Yeah, it just seems like he understands. He's just intelligent. He just understands his responsibility. He, you know, he, he gets what he needs to do, and he he pulled it off. He friggin' pulled it off. How difficult a task would that be as a writer? Like, oh, I wanna I wanna evoke Fleming. I wanna I want it to really feel absorbed in his world. As, as the same character, I don't want to upset his work. I want to compliment it, but I also want it to feel new and exciting and not like the same old tired stuff. Like, what a mission. What a mission. How do you even begin to do that? I he did it. I, I, yeah. There's no way in the world. <laughs> like, but, um, there, there is original Fleming material in this somewhere. Only a little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it says it, says it somewhere that there's a... Oh, does it? It's just it's a, it's one part of one chapter. It's the story about the Russian captain who almost blows up the casino. Ah, uh, the original. The, what? Yes, you're is right. Is it really? Yeah, yeah. Story Bond tells sixteen is the Fle is the Fleming work. It, it, that's apparently an old. Why he was so famous, famous in the uh, in the. Casino, why everyone knew who James Bond was when he was. Yeah, yeah, game. yeah, because it almost yeah. got blown up by this You're crazy Russian guy. How did everything. you know? How do you know this? I think it's I read it when I was reading over some more background plot stuff online about the book. Oh, right. Because I 
I could not tell. Yeah, uh, it says here in the uh, acknowledgements. Oh, uh, I didn't read the acknowledgements. Much of the chapter Russian Roulette is based on one of the outlines he wrote for an American television series, which in the end never happened. That's right, the Bond TV series. You are kidding me. That is amazing. And that's chapter seven. There you go. Oh, wow. I couldn't tell. Couldn't amazing. tell. Yeah, just flawless. Like, talk about being in, like, ghost writing or just in, in, in tapped with... Exactly. Down to the scary sort of details as well, like the way he fills in little, you know, Bond's little asides, you know, that yeah, the asides and, the aside, and where they come from. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Style and things. Oh, that's really well done. It's it's the fascinating thing because one of the one of the criticisms I've had of, of the Fleming novels is that I find Look, I, I find Fleming sometimes a little unsophisticated with his um, writing style, and sometimes I can feel like he's reaching for something but doesn't really grab it. But I feel like with Horowitz, I'm reading someone who knows how to do what Fleming was trying to do at times. Like mm. there, there are some revelations of like, like in these micro moments of different characters where I'm just like, that's brilliant. You've yeah. just revealed you know, so much about this character just mm. in the way that, like, he holds his, um, his, uh, what, what's the, the fucking drink? White, not a white Russian. Uh, Americano. Um, uh, Is it Americano? No, it's that fucking, the drink that Scipio drinks. He talks about how he grabs it with his hand and his giant hand envelops uh, it. And yeah. There's like a, a nervous kind of way that he holds. It's like, just fucking brilliant stuff. It, it is a real case, though. I mean, it, it, Horowitz is fantastic, and I agree with you. You know, we are, we're all of us standing on the shoulders of giants in a lot of ways. Like oh, the, novel has, the novel has come a long, long way in, in the time between when Fleming was writing. And, you know, Horowitz has the benefit of all, all these years of development and the way that we change Definitely, things and, the way, yeah. and what we prefer. Mm. But you're, 100, you're so right in saying that this is what Fleming was reaching for. It's like what he laid the sort of foundation for mm. as well in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, just, I think, oh, was there, I mean, we spoke a little bit about a bit of uneasiness. How quickly was that out of your mind? Because it did take me a few chapters to really get into it. The first chapter, I was immediately. I was really, yeah. Yep. I was a little bit like I know I've spoken to you boys already, but when he started to introduce things, I, I, I guess where my main my main fear was coming from wasn't in the way that he was writing or any of the story that he was telling, but I was worried about um, what's the word retro fitting, uh, retro fitting or you know, changing the foundation of Bond too much. I was, I thought too much tinkering may, might be occurring, mm -hmm. such as the way that 16 is the one who first says shaken, not stirred. And she's also the one that suggests Morelands, which are elements that Fleming established as being Bond. And he didn't come up with them as having arrived from a, a path. You know, I just thought, I hope he doesn't take too many of these liberties with the character to try and appease that, again, that fan service idea of going, ah, you yeah. know, and uh, it started off a little shaky, but then it was long forgotten. 
I, you know? I did have a moment with the shaken, not stirred, uh, where I was like, oh, because mm. I think he even he even orders very close to a Vespa. Um, I think the the he, it's like the three measures of Gordon's one of you know blah blah blah, and I was like, oh, hang on, hang on a minute, that's very close to a Vespa. And then when she was like, I have it shaken, not stirred, because my husband insisted that it was stirred is the only way to make a martini, which let's be yeah, real bro, is yeah. the only way to make a martini. You do not shake a martini. We've we've talked about this before, but you don't shake a martini. Uh, <laughs> um, the cigarettes, though, I was I was like really pro that moment when it came up, because for me it separated Bond from Fleming, because Fleming has that uh, uh, the habit of like Bond's favorite thing is my favorite thing. Yeah, and so yeah, by yeah. in the literary canon now, it's now an in-universe influence that's come to Bond. It's not just the author saying, well, my favorite cigarette is a Morland's, the Turkish tobacco with the three same gold rings. The, um, same as the cigarette case as well that he always relied on. You see that come from 16. I yeah. did like yeah. how that whole thread, I think, uh, resolved itself. Um, I mean, especially as we got to know 16 and and... Horowitz really ran with the idea of her turning James from a boy into a man, which yeah. I think um, he nailed that whole evolution of Bond from being a, uh, I think she says, you know, you made, you make love like a schoolboy um, at one point. And um, I think there is a bit of that that runs through their relationship, especially because she's more senior. I think she's like in her mid forties. Yeah. yeah. Um, she's 15 years old. No. 10 years older or something like that, I think. Which is 15 years too old for Bond. Yeah, That's so right. I thought it I thought it resolved itself That's nicely, especially when he, he goes to Moreland's and he finds a blend that suits him perfectly and he remarks on how... And, and it becomes a more of a, you know, spoiler. It's a bit stronger than what he's used to, but... And, yeah. and it becomes emotional because, of course, spoilers, 16 cops it in the end. She doesn't make it through and it becomes romantic. And again, I will say my logician's brain in the whole relationship with... Bond and and sixteen and then th and reflecting on how he met Vespa and how that relationship unfolded. I did think that the sixteen relationship muddied the waters a little bit, but not in a way that was too offensive. Mm. Um, same with the torture scene. I thought. Isn't it better if torture is first experienced in Casino because it's so pivotal to his character in that novel? Mm. I thought, do we necessarily need a torture in this? It was, it's just kind of like a, a little bit of light editing just to appease mm. the real stickler in me. Like, remove the shaken, not stirred, give her the cigarettes. Yeah. Remove yeah. the torture, keep the heroin. You know, like, just a little bit of yeah, balancing. He does cop torture where he. Cops torture once, but he cops torture twice. Um, yeah. Well, that was, it's funny you say that because I thought when, when it was like he was first describing it of the, there's a, the torture scene in the, um, when Scipio, the big bad, uh, has Bond tied to the chair and he throws this liquid in his face and Bond is expecting it to be hydrochloric acid. The way he's like, oh, it was burning and he could feel it going into his hair. I was like, yeah. what the fuck is it's he going doing? On. Yeah. <laughs> when when that happened, I was like, "What the fuck is going on?" 
Are they going to give non-plastic surgery? Like, and I was thinking in Casino Royale, like the way he has to endure that torture scene. I was like, now hang on a minute. He even says in Casino Royale that there's a moment of like, Jesus Christ, how am I going to get through this? This is like nothing I've gone through before. I limit. But then it being freezing cold water, I was like, oh. That was brilliant. Okay. That was really well done. Yeah. His imagination was so intense that he yeah, yeah. psychologically set up for this horrific thing. Which yeah. just gives Scipio so much power as well. Like as a yeah. character, it's a really, I thought that was just really sealed him as a great villain. That yeah. Scene. And, and I liked too that um, Bond never really seriously considers um, having a life with 16 there's there's almost like a there, i think there her. is a love there yeah, yeah but he's yeah. very much like mm, when this is all over so long and thanks for all the for all the kisses she, she even says she even calls his bluff and says oh you'll be sick of me after a few days which he yeah. totally would yeah you know, we know we know that he would you know yeah but um yeah it is a special relationship that they have it's quite Quite it's amazing, nice. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think if they were, you know, regardless of if they were to adapt this one, keep that relationship. I think especially yeah. if if this is a uh if the rebooting the series. I mean, tangent, but do you think they could do they could start a new series by going again back to Bond's Bond earning his license to kill? Would you guys be all right with that or would you like them to assume that he already has it when the next series takes off? I think it's quite a big question. <laughs> I think before reading this, I was very much like, I don't want to see Bond earning his stripes. I don't want to see old man Bond. I just want to get thrown into this world that already exists and operates fluidly. And we go mission to mission to mission to mission. And that's it. I don't want interwoven universes and multiple characters and things coming back and all this kind of stuff. Have a plan. Sure. But just go fuck mission to mission to mission. After reading this, I was like, I would watch the shit out of this. I mean, the relationship, again, works so well because it's Bond's first in the field sort of relationship. You know, that dynamic between them is so special, I find, because she's old, because he's young, because she's yeah. an experienced agent, because he's inexperienced. And there's a, there's a real respect that he has for what she's able to do. You know, Even the interaction that they have in the casino, like I love those early chapters at, at, mm. at um, the casino when he first mm. meets at 16 and, and he's trying to get inf information out of her and she's like, no, that's not how this works, James. You know, it's a great like way to establish a new womanizer, you know, because Bond needs to carry over that essence into mm. the next film series and to see him try and fail on a more mature woman and be taught by her means he could then go forward into the future films and there's a little bit of color in the audience's yeah. mind you know ah this is where you learned that and this is why you're doing this i think it's really cool but um yeah i don't know is my answer to that my, yeah. my gut says uh no i wouldn't want to uh i wouldn't want to go back to 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 getting the license to seeing and become bond again i think there's a part of me that's like just just have him be james bond what about if it was his first mission you don't see any of the i mean the killing of what's the fellow's name at the start i can't remember 
where we see Bond kill the guy in the grand in the uh, in um in Stockholm in Stockholm yeah I mean if you were to just come in on him his first day as a double O agent would you be happy with that or is that still too Casino Royale I think it's too Casino Royale for me yeah it maybe is maybe it's maybe this fifties era thing isn't the next time around maybe it's the Maybe it's the the go after. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look, I think I think if you do it well, I'm gonna love it. You know yeah, what I mean? Sure. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm sure it'd be fine. <laughs> but <laughs> my my my, I just really want Bond to be on missions again. Um, yeah. And and I think you can you could probably if you were adapting this, you could still do forever and a day, uh, without it being Bond's first mission you know what i mean it could be an early mission yeah it's I mean, an early if, mission because if 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 they're doing a sort of continuation or a you know loose trilogy whatever then you're going to see the character grow so yeah the audience is going to see it as his first mission anyway so it can be an early mission. It, exactly yeah and i think yeah. if you cast a young enough uh james bond someone in their early to mid 30s who who is maybe still a not boyish but you know He's looking younger, not so craggy. Mm. Um, craggy, yeah, craggy. Um, yeah, I think you could you could do it. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm with I mean, you. I it has been what this. fifteen years since we saw Bond take his first two kills. Mm. So for a lot of of the cinema going audience, people don't really remember that. Yeah. I think I think my problem more is uh, it, it's the Spider-Man thing. I don't want to see Uncle Ben and and him be getting bit by the spider. I yep. don't like yeah. fuck me dead. You know what Batman's I mean? Batman's parents in the alley. Yeah, parents in the alley oh, getting yeah, shot. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and you could fall into that trap. You know, with with a franchise like Bond, where it's like, hey, I've got a great idea. We've got a new Bond actor. Let's see him becoming Bond. And it's like, yeah. oh god! <laughs> and then yeah. inevitably they'll fucking pluck up the balls to remake Casino Royale, and you know we'll all be pulling our hair out and in a nursing oh, home. No. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thanks. It's on the cards. Yeah, it really will be, won't it? Once the once yeah. once Bond is in like the public domain. Oh that boy, there's gonna be there's gonna be some wacky shit. <laughs> I mean, we'll look, be making it. Yeah. a lot about how we want it to be a, a, a film or how it could easily become a, a, a great film but as a as a novel and as no, a no, story no 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 the film <laughs> we're already knocking at horowitz's doors for the film rights uh and you know slashing eon's tires in the car park um what about the story itself as a novel Brandon, you sort of touched on earlier how in some of Fleming's novels it gets a bit tiresome and it gets a bit weird and things don't really make sense. Did Was there any point in, in this novel that you felt it fall into that? Do you, do you think the wheels were falling off at any particular point or were you really solid on the story the whole way through, the motivations and the plot points and everything made sense? 
Yeah, it all made it all made sense to me. I mean, I the only part of the um the only part of the book that I kind of was getting a bit like, okay, okay, come on, is when we were at um Sixteen's house. I can't remember the chapter title, and Bond has been told to set dinner set the dinner table and stuff. And she recounts her um essentially her life story a little bit there. And there was a part of me that was like, I I don't need to know all of this actually. And knowing a little less wouldn't have hurt me. I think I think what's there is fine, but if I was being a really like nitpicky editor or something, I'd be like Let's let's tidy that, that up a bit. Let's get on with it. Because by that point in the story, I'm really like, follow that car. Like, I'm really like, I want to know what Wolf is doing. I want to know what Wolf is doing. I don't have time for this. Yeah, I don't have time for this. There, it was a bit yeah. like that for me. Um, because by that point, I was like, he's our villain. He's the bad guy. Um, I'm always cautiously looking out for uh, dumb Bond. Oh yes, um, yes you are. Always, always it's nice. now in my head when I read these novels. I'm going, oh, right, does this actually fucking make sense? <laughs> yeah, I think for the most part, he's pretty on the money here. I think um, you know you could argue that you should have figured out Wolf a little sooner, but at the same time, the way that Hor- I think it's more a case of like the point at which Horowitz reveals the villain as being Wolf. It's just a little more elegantly plotted in that he doesn't show his whole hand to the audience. Yes. You know, in, Fle- in Fleming's stuff, Fleming's sometimes telling you things but not telling Bond things. And you get a little bit like, what? But Bond, shouldn't Bond know this because we just saw the thought process of that and isn't that where we're all at now? And I think we were a lot, in this novel, we were alongside Bond. So even though you were like, come on, figure it out a little it still made sense the logic was still there i think the only case of dumb bond that sprung out to me and uh i kind of explained it away as being you know teething problems because it's his first double o mission i just don't know why he didn't check in with m sooner um especially because the oh at all you know, once Bond lands, he's on his own and he doesn't report any information. And one of the things that M expressly says to him about the previous 007 was that he didn't check in with us. He kept he liked yeah. to keep his cards, cards close to his chest and he wanted to figure it all out before he told us anything. I just thought, you know, before they went in to do the big raid, you know, where they hid in the bakery truck, you, you know, you had downtime where you could have found a phone and just, you know, in case you got killed in this mission and disappeared off the face of the earth again, save them sending in another person. Let him know what you know. Um, fair. Yeah, fair point. Um, that was the only thing. Minor, again, minor qualm, but, you know, you yeah should have, you should have let your boss know yeah <laughs> especially before you got taken away on a ship in the middle of sea he doesn't know what's going on here you know yeah far out yeah what well, one of the things that avoided that dumb bond uh, trope that can kind of happen in the fleming novels is um the fact that i still at at right until the final chapter 
I was not sure if there was going to be some flip and reveal that like I was constantly like is Scipio entirely bad is mm. Madam 16 entirely on our side is Reed Griffiths on our side is yeah. Wolf maybe being used here like there was that thing of like whereas with Drax in Moonraker like you said Dubs it's like come on Bond like <laughs> Hello, nuclear fucking space rockets you. everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> you saw Drax on the cliff firing a fucking missile at you. Like, there was not entirely that moment. There were always scenes where it's like, ooh, this guy's fucking sus as hell. Or, ooh, this guy's aggressive. Or, hang on a minute, why is she with him? And why is he going here? But, like, I, there was throughout the novel there were constantly moments of being like like monique monique was was quite when when we were first introduced to her i was like oh she's gonna end up being like a hench a henchman or something like that and she's gonna turn on bond but then even her she had that flip in the cafe where you were just like oh my god she's just a person she's just a normal everyday person that That really got me that monique scene it's amazing isn't it Oh, I want shocking. to see that so in the movie. If they yeah. adapt this one, you've got to put the Monique scene in. Yeah, it. that is brutal. Yeah. For I, those who don't know, she uh, she gets run over by a car as she leaves the cafe in a, in a targeted attack. Mm. And, uh, in the Bond middle goes of the home small village where everyone knows everyone. Yeah. Awful. And she's all mangled. Yeah, oh. it's horrible. <laughs> that moment... Um, See, that's an, that's like these little micro moments that I think are just like terrific. Um, that as Bond, as soon as Bond hears the cars uh, accelerating, he, he knows he knows exactly what's about to happen. With before he even turns around to see if she's in the middle of the road or anything, I was just like, he just was able to build up this real sense of like stakes and tension and and constant kind of like this force that's always pulling you forward. Like Horowitz is, was just able to just kind of put you in this. It all felt real. And it felt like, I don't know. It felt like I, you're there. You're there yeah. in it. Whereas sometimes yeah. I feel like in, in the week of Fleming, Fleming is quite good. I'm not saying Fleming can't do anything. We've liked some of his books. Um, and he created uh, I our think favorite you're, character. You're dragging Fleming through the mud. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What? <laughs> you're going to get haunted tonight. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I will. Um, like Flem- Fleming, Fleming is is a good writer. That's all I'll say. <laughs> but Horowitz is better. <laughs> Horowitz does Fleming better than Fleming. Yeah. Um, but yeah, One you're thing right. That and, I really and... enjoyed. Oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah, never yeah. Stops. Sit down. Come on. Sit down. A lot of you. One thing that I really appreciated with listening to the audiobook was the performance given by uh, Matthew Good, mm. wonderful British actor. I was and, gonna just, okay, that you got more to say there? Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Go on. And the only thing I would add to that mm. is that for me, the big man, JB, in this story felt very cold he was sort of even though he was a bit younger i got the sense of him being a bit of a bit of a hard ass bit of a cold detached killer mm. 
which I thought. Yeah, I was going to ask because Brandon often accuses uh, Fleming, Ian Fleming, creator of James Bond. Brandon doesn't care. Uh, he often accuses Fleming's Bond of being a bit of a uh, blank in some in some novels. A bit of a Sometimes, kind of he doesn't. Yeah. yeah, doesn't really have a character. I don't really, you know, I might be told what he's thinking and feeling, but in terms of him making choices and and doesn't feel just feels like an action man rather mm. than specifically being James Bond. What did you think about James Bond in this book? Oh, like this is exactly where I want Bond to be. You um, think he's a clearer character, more defined? Hundred percent. I got I got yeah. flashes of uh, the, con- the the best bits of Connery and the best bits of Daniel Craig actually. Um, particularly like Casino Royale and um, and a little bit of like Thunderball, Goldfinger, Connery. Um, yeah, no, that this is exactly where I where I want him to be. He's he's not so blank a slate that it could be anyone. But I find that a lot of the time his um, his coldness or his uh, apparent unemotionality i guess if that's a word it's not but uh it is now um always feels like it's him protecting himself or doing what needs to be done for the mission uh and i think this is the best fucking final line in a bond novel that we have read so far when bond shoots reed griffith's dead through the eye and the final line of this is bond felt nothing i was just like yes 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 half monk half hitman yes because there is this part of it where where i think and and it's not always there, but I think when Bond is at his best, there's a slight psychopathic tendency there, you know, not to diagnose a fucking literary character, but, you know, there, there's this there's this detachment that, that someone in that line of work has to have. And I liked, yeah. I liked that in this, because we see him go through a lot in the Fleming Casino Royale, um, it, the, the work starts to take a toll on him. I liked that in this first one, it's not easy, but because he's younger and they're his first couple of kills, and because he's determined to become a double O and to prove that he's the best, there's a real, like, he takes his humanity off every now and then. Um, mm. And that's why it's quite nice when he's he's got those scenes with sixteen, and he kind of gets bested um, in the humanity stakes a little bit there. Um, and there was just that some lovely building, um, you know, on, on like the line that uh, kept coming to my head from Fleming was the um, uh, oh god, I'm going to butcher it, but it's um, human beings. Uh, are much easier to fight for than ideals. I can't remember what the exact quote is, but I'm sure it'll be in a fact check. Um, you know, fight for human beings. They're you know they're much easier to fight for than ideals, my dear James. I think Mathis says it to him in mm. Casino Royale. Like that was that was coming up for me in this. 
you know, in the in the scenes with sixteen and that, where it's like she's someone who's been in the business and living the life for much longer and has gone through absolute hell. Uh, and then there's this young bloody new double O who's like, well, I'm going to be the bloody best. And, you know, everyone at MI6 is going to know my name and blah, 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 blah. I was like... Just on, just on the cockiness, one thing that really... Oh, probably the most absorbed reading in the novel for me was Bond... Um, experiencing the heroin high. Oh yeah! Oh my god, that was fascinating. Wasn't I was it? so like, "What the hell?" But he revealed so much of his own psychology because he was in this drug fueled state where, you know, he was connecting with these. I think he says he feels thoughts as emotions. At, at one point, he's feeling all thoughts as emotions. They're not. They're not contained. Clear thoughts but rather distinct feelings and then he has this line where he says he was he was the best spy in the world he was the he was the co he was the most efficient killer and it's like that those are bond's feelings of confidence they're his impulses that drive him when he's not able to articulate them and then when he's on heroin and feeling the pure emotion he says it you know i'm the best spy in the world that's what james bond thinks yeah. you know that's how he lives his life and that's what he's got to think He's like an athlete, you know, you hear all these Formula One drivers and all these, you know, great athletes saying, I have to believe to succeed. I have to believe that I'm the best. Mm. Yeah. And, and, it's and that's something that they touch on earlier in the, in the, in the book, I think when uh, I think it's Bond maybe in his thoughts, thinking back about why he wanted to be in the double O program and hearing about it and understanding that people that are accepted into that program, are the best at what they do. And there's even a line in there, I think, that Bond always had some fascination with people who wanted to be the best. And the fact that that comes back out again when he's sort of unin uninhibited by his, by, you know. Yeah, this definitely. Else, the influence of drugs that all of this kind of stuff comes all out. This emotion. It's crazy. Yeah. I think this is really, I will say, one of the, like, you know, you've already basically said it, Brando, but. It's the it's the best written version of the character. It actually taught me a lot about the character. Like yeah. who would have I've seen all the films. I've read a lot of the Flemings. And this is a book written in what, twenty eighteen. And it taught me something new. You know? A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Brando, and on I, your point about the Oh, cycle. I was about to say oh, a point. Well, I was about to say a point on Brandon. So you don't bloody interrupt me. All right. Yeah, go on, psychopath. Yeah, no, well, I was just going to comment on Brandon's point about being a psychopath and not to diagnose. But oh, I think, um, uh, is it Bond himself or maybe even 16 or someone makes a reference? No, I think it's Bond towards maybe even the last chapter when uh, M grants him uh, sort of carte blanche essentially on whatever happens in America. Very cool. Uh, maybe it is 16 that says it earlier. At some point in this godforsaken novel, someone says that how amazing it must feel or how terrifying it must feel to know that you can essentially get away with murder and there be no consequence. You know, only, only secret agents and psychopaths have that, know that feeling. I Got think it. that might even be Bond himself thinking that. Yeah, yeah at the end, it. I think at the very end, because he's there and he's um, 
he shoots he shoots Reed, um, and he's like, "This was not a killing. This was murder." Yeah. Um, and it's all off the books. Yeah. But he felt who else got shades felt of no um, guilt. He was like, mm. driving off down Sunset Boulevard. Uh, who like, else got shades of the final scene of Casino Royale in the approach to um, Wolf's house? Absolutely, yes. I was just feeling the the film, obviously. Yeah. I also got uh, just to bring it back to uh, please release uh, the deleted scenes and commentary on future home media releases. Uh, the description of the final scene of Casino of Quantum of Solace, what it was originally meant to be was Bond confronting Mr. White and um, Guy Haynes, the Prime Minister's aide, and he kills them both and he makes it look like a murder-suicide. That was the original That was the original ending of Quantum of Solace. All right. Yeah, there you go. Ooh, I think yeah, I he's, must... he's obviously pulled a little bit of inspiration from the Craig era. I, I wonder... I wonder. I there were there were shades of Craig in there. There was a couple yeah. of moments with the um, the the conversations between sixteen and Bond, the little witty repartee, particularly when he first meets her at the card table. Uh, probably one. I damn. I think that might be my favourite scene in the whole bloody uh, book as well. Was that ca- that card table scene and when how there was there. and all of the other players are fakes. They were all oh, in yeah, on it. Yeah. I was like, yeah. fuck yes. Yeah, Hell yes. Cool. And I liked too that they didn't end up being part of some, you know, organization that then she called on, you know, to help out in the end. You know, they were just people who mm. she had separately, you know, convinced to be part of a, a card counting scheme at the casino. No, like I that think was she just had a another little army, didn't she? Oh, but well, they she... came back to help them infiltrate the base. Well, yeah, yeah but it's not—it's uh, not like Octopussy's yeah. fucking army with like a you know the blah 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 coming in with. I a, did get a little bit of Octopussy though. I did get a little bit of Octopussy when they. When oh, did they, you? Uh, when well, the three band of misfits. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I liked it though. I thought it was cool. It really worked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the knives whizzing through and and yeah, them saving Bond and sixteen. I thought. Um, was a little bit octopusy, but I also really believed that a person like Sixteen, with all her accomplishments, would have a little band of followers. I think it's pretty believable. Yeah, she's got a network, and I and you know I think she even mentions that they were that they were following them around, tailing them, and while they were having their their uh, their date or something. Does she mention brief? Oh, maybe I made that up. Or they followed them. Oh, that no, that's right. They followed them to the compound. Oh yeah, actually, I think there is a reference yeah, to yeah. them. So sick. There's this idea that Sixteen's got them as like little people that are kind of invisible, just making sure she's okay. Yes. So that when yeah. she goes to meet with with strange men like James Bond, she's got a little bit of a safety net hmm. behind her or something. Yes, yeah. but they're not. Um... They're not. They're not ghosts in the machine. Yeah, they're not. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I, I was I was really expecting that to be like I have these people in every country and they work as like ship hands at the dock and they're here and this and this and this. I yeah. there was the, early on I was like oh I hope that isn't what this becomes that mm. it's like she has people everywhere. Yeah. Um, no, I really like that. I think that card scene is my favorite. My favorite scene. 
Now, gentlemen, on that card scene, actually, have you ever called the game Blackjack Pontoon? I have heard the the game Pontoon spoken many times. I've never realised that it is Blackjack. I am in agreement with Darby. You've heard Pontoon before? Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realise it was an Australian... But I know uh, my dad. My dad's talked about pontoon. I remember my grandparents. My yeah, pontoon. grandparents. But do absolutely. they also yeah. say blackjack or twenty-one? I don't know. I guess so. Everyone calls it blackjack. Yeah, Is there a, yeah. <laughs> I've heard it called twenty-one. When I was a kid, I remember uh, blackjack was the American name for it, and twenty-one was what we called it. But I've never heard anyone say the the game pontoon. Really? Yeah, no, that's that really stood out to me when he was like, or oh, as they say in Australia, pontoon. So, do they? <laughs> love that we got a reference. A what? I said I love that we got a, a reference. Yeah, that, that was, was nice. That was nice. Yeah. Two yeah. times, actually. Yeah, was there a Sydney reference? No, there was a... Um, uh, there was when, a New Zealand when talking reference. About, when talking about the... Yes, well, she was born in Auckland, mm. 16. Um, but when they were talking about the the poisonous plant that he's got uh, around the compound, oh, yeah. and then and then they they Bond says its name uh, Gimpy Gimpy. I think it's Gimpy Fact Gimpy. Fact check. Fact check. And um, and they mentioned that that was the plants that were used in Southeast Asia that the Australians had to become the Australian soldiers had to know about. Oh, yeah, right. Because if you ran into Gimpy Gimpy or whatever it was called, you would be killed. <laughs> limpy Limpy. <laughs> Who would you say is the villain? Would you say there's a main villain in this piece? Well, Jake's already suggested that it's Wolf. I think it's Scipio. I think he's the main villain. You go Scipio? Yeah. Scipio? Scipio. I don't know. Scipio. The jury's out. I think Scipio. it's Scipio, yeah. Scipio. Is he... He's Corsican. Yes. He is Corsican. Could he even be Scipio. 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 Could be. Okay. You would say Scipio? What, who would you say, Jake? Wolf. Wolf's manipulating Scipio. He's the big bad. He's not manipulating Scipio. Scipio's manipulating... Together. They're in it together. Wolf's not even getting anything out of this. Well, Wolf, he's getting Wolf, revenge. Getting revenge for the Second the World War. Of his sons. Killing his sons. As he was taking his revenge on America by turning them all into heroin addicts. Mm. Yeah. I love how Bond calls him out as like, that's, that's not... That's such a terrible idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like, well... Yeah, well, I don't care. I'll be dead revenge. Month. Yeah. Yeah, because he has a brain tumour. Now, I think Scipio is more villainous. And... Yeah, and you get the kind of... He's got the henchman, he's got the danger and the torture and all of that kind of stuff. And the translator. And the translator. But Wolf has the lair, being the big ship. Mm. Compound. Yeah. Or is it Reed Griffiths? Well, ultimate, ultimate so manipulator. This could be our other, our other yeah. villain. Yeah, CIA operative. 
I would say Reed Griffiths probably is the big bad because... But, you know, Bond goes and works with the CIA again a year later. Uh... Well, yes, this is interesting. This is interesting. Um, I need to re- go over the passages where he talks about Felix in Casino Royale because my instinct would be he wouldn't fucking trust a CIA agent again no for a very world. fucking long time. Because there's all that stuff at the end where he's like, and Bond didn't have to try and cover this up too much or even acknowledge it in a report because if the CIA acknowledged this, they'd have egg on their faces. It'd all be go balls up, blah, blah, blah. But the CIA, like that was something I really fucking loved about Horowitz too, is writing in like a more in our time now with the, the benefit of hindsight, we now know that there were all these operations in real life involving the CIA and the FBI, you know, where they were blackmailing Martin Luther King Jr. They were, you know, selling weapons to the, to the, in the Iran Contra scale, like scandal. The Taliban. Like, down yeah, in they South were arming America. the Taliban and training, yeah. you know, blah, 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 blah. You know, the Mujahideen or whatever they were called back then. And it's like, so now we know in the fifties, a hundred percent, they would have done this deal with the fucking Corsican drug lord. Like a hundred percent. If it helps them destabilize a region, of course they would. Um, I thought that was a really fucking like cool thing to have it. Like, it's not just uh, this one guy who's like, I have a plan and I have money. And so I'll do this. It's like the world's governments are going to find out about this at some point. And I like that it's like, yeah, of course they will. And they're going to fucking help because yeah. they just want to, they, this is what they do. I think you're right. I think Reed Griffiths is the big bad. Or the CIA. Oh, tell me why. Yeah, because. Who wants I, to I say thought... that publicly and be put on a watch list? <laughs> <laughs> I thought Reed did a good job of explaining his position to Bond and why he was doing what he was doing. But I didn't quite catch what the nail in the coffin was for Bond. He did stop and he asked, did you know that we were on the Mirabelle? We were on the ship when it set sail. And that, that, that seems to Reed be... Reed is, is the big bad. is because mm. Reed is the one leaking the information about Bond to the Corsicans and subsequently to Wolf. Because in that final bedroom interrogation scene before he shoots Reed, that's what Bond is trying to figure out is 16 knew all about me and so did Wolf. But Reed is like, well, I didn't tell Wolf. He's like, no, you told Scipio and Scipio told Wolf. So me being here and all my cover being blown and all this information getting out is on you. And Reed was present at the killing of the first 007. He negotiated the meeting and told 007, first 007, to turn up unarmed. And then things got out of hand and Scipio shot him three times in the chest. So So this has all happened because of Reed. But he also claimed that he didn't know about the heroin. Is that right? He didn't know about the heroin coming in on the Mirabelle? Which is bullshit because that's why they're involved. Hmm. I think I think the the way I read that scene was that Reed would say something and then Bond would kind of catch out that lie. And so then Reed was constantly being like, well, okay, 
fair enough, but you would have done the same if it was if it was you, wouldn't you, old buddy? And, you know, that's why I got Scipio to just pour water on you. And so, like, every time it was just another thing. And, and I was kind of reading that, that I think that if Reed had gotten the drop on Bond in that room, I think Reed would have killed Bond. And mm. I think... Yeah. I think, I think Reed knows... I didn't I think hear this on the audio book. Um, I'd be interested yeah. to hear how it was read on the audio book. Um, but when I was reading that final chapter, I got a really strong sense that Reed knew he was about to die. Like it was a constant thing of like every time Bum was like, huh, well, yes, well, and then of course there's, well, yeah, blah, 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 blah. It's like, Reed's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, maybe we should, uh, we should go and yeah, you know, blah, 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 blah. Drinks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we cool. We good. We good. Um, he also turned his back on Bond though, which if he, if he, was concerned about his... I was super sus on Reed when he didn't turn up for, like, chapter after chapter. I was like, where the fuck is Reed Griffith? Yeah, like when Bond gets lost in the... or ducks back in the compound and then initially gets caught and, and fake tortured or whatever. Mm. Yeah, there's a whole yeah. chunk of the book where it's like, I haven't seen Reed or heard from him. In yeah, Reed. yeah, true. Which, by the way, I found out the name Reed Griffith, Griffith is... Uh, was put into the book because a guy called Reed Griffith won uh, an auction to get his name put in the book in support of the old Vic Theatre. What? They ran some au- so they ran some charity auction to raise money for the old Vic in London. Yeah. Like, who wants to have their name in the new Anthony Horowitz book? And this guy called Reed Griffith... Um, agent from the 50s oh so i was God. like yeah, yeah okay sure and <laughs> the same actually the same thing happened with madam 16's real name um joanne, joanne it was it was it was found out that there was a woman at that same event donated a whole bunch of money okay. and her name was joanne mcpike or something like that and apparently the french word for pike is brochet so Get out of here. Well. A little bit of impromptu fact checking. Yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. On the fly. <laughs> wow. So there wow. you go. That's fucking interesting. We didn't we haven't talked about um uh the decision Horowitz made to not make James the first 007. Mm. That, he, that, that he's replacing the old 007 and, and, and Bond has a decision to change the number. Mm-hmm. He decides mm-hmm. to keep 007 because how'd you feel about that? I didn't particularly like it. Uh, again, it was I, that was in my period of concern, the early yeah. part of the novel, where I was like, "He's changing too much. He's doing too much." <laughs> and that I think that was another component of that. But I do respect the the logic and and Bond's reasoning that you boys pointed out to me. It's you know, yeah, it's good. It's good right. that. Um, he takes 007 because then the enemy will... What is it? Well, that they'll understand that if you take one of us down, another one will, will be standing right behind them. The Hydra needs. principle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah those famously good guys, Hydra. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. But to me, it's like another thing where it's kind of... You could have just done away with that. 
Double O five. And the and the and the thing that the former 007, the man that we know as Richard Blakeney, was a friend of Bond's, mm. and it was a way of him kind of carrying his legacy by keeping the number alive. Not very top secret, then, is it? If he was but, like, oh, that's no. my friend. I heard my friend 007 is dead. <laughs> Could I perhaps be the new 007? That is one thing that does get my goat a lot in these books, and it happened in this one too, is where is this leak? Where are these leaks? <laughs> this is leaky as a bloody sieve. And Bond even says... Oh, I'll have to make a note of this and tell Tanner to uh, go over their um, security clearances. There's clearly a leak here. How is this information getting out? It's like, this is this is top top secret stuff. And all of a sudden, everyone's like, Ah, yes, you're James Bond, 007, recently appointed to the new 00 agency. It's like, <laughs> yeah. well, this is this MI6 a few days ago. <laughs> but everyone. Hey. But everyone, what did you think of the handling of again? Is it is it fan service to put Money Penny in there? Was she needed? Did you like? I it? thought that was fucking fantastic because I was like the way he described Lelia uh, Lelia Ponsonby, and there was that interesting that interesting observation of like he saw her warm to her to warm to him and knew that she wanted to be his friend. I was like, oh, that's kind, of, that's kind of cool. All right, yeah, okay. This is this is a good relationship. And then talking to Money Penny, where he's just like, damn, she's a bit of all right. Wouldn't mind bonking her, but my <laughs> god, the headache of bonking her. Am I right? Imagine <laughs> the pillow talk, but also imagine the pillow talk. <laughs> good luck to the man who dares to climb that mountain. <laughs> And that she kind of had this like, um, oh, I know how dangerous it is, dangerous it is for you to be flirting with me right now. So I'm going to flirt twice as hard. I was yeah. like, oh, mother penny. <laughs> <laughs> Tanner gets a good bit of a go. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Which is cool. This Does is. He get... Oh, sorry. Well, I, this is something we've we talked about in in real life. Um, but one thing that I really fucking want from the film series going forward is to elevate the Tanner role. Yeah. Yeah. Tanner needs to be more central. He That's is a real Bond's friend. Yes. I'd be happy Bond's never to see Felix Slider. Yeah. I'd be happy mm -hmm. if the next Bond, if it's self-contained or whatever, blah, 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 we do, doesn't have a Felix Slider. We Instead, don't need any more Felix. Yeah. Have a Bill Tanner. And that way also, the relationship between Q and Bond can just be Gadget Master, Quartermaster, and Agent. Yep. Because my favorite relationship between Q and Bond is the Goldfinger, Desmond Llewellyn Bond, where it's like, you break everything I make, fuck you, listen up, I'm only talking to you because I have to. And there's this kind of like begrudging respect of each other, but they're not they're not best friends. They're not best yeah. friends. We've had it. We've done our little best friend bond thing with with Ben oh, Wishaw era. You. What's that? Hello, Q. I've missed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get out of my house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For me, I'm like, let's let's get back to seeing people who are fucking good at their jobs, yeah. and 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 who have the appropriate relationships for the fucking uh, jobs that they have. Like, yeah, I like the flirt with Money Penny, but, 
But let's bring chums. a bit of They're danger into that flirt as well. Yeah. He's only so on the other if, side of the door. Yes, and if M catches them, it's a moment of like, fucking stop it. Yeah. I want to see this. This is the stuff I want to see. I, because this is what they fucking promised in Casino Royale. And I want them to deliver on that fucking promise. No more whimsy. No more bullshit. <laughs> well, it could be all the answers could be here. 100%. Mm. Who else haven't we talked about? I thought Scipio was really was really interesting. I thought um, the fact that he can't really speak English. I thought his... The translator was great. That translator is my day player of the week because yeah. the help me... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as he's translating Scipio as Scipio's dying. Yeah. And also the fact that he just doesn't invest any emotion in his job. Like he's on a... He's in the middle of these heroin dealers, murderers, secret agents, and he's just doing the job of translating in dry tones. He's fantastic. It's fantastic. He's Terrific. Fantastic. And, and the way 16 kills him just fed up with him as well. He's <laughs> so good. Yeah. No, he's great. We, we There's a couple of henchmen. I forget their yeah. names. Uh, they're pretty nothing, to be honest. Yeah, the two guys that... Yeah. yeah. Sparrow. Maybe. They could Barrel be name, they could be nameless as far as yeah. I'm concerned. Yeah, they're nothing. Hmm. Um, I think that's everyone. Um Yeah, I think it is. Oh Jake I love M being really fucking terrifying for everyone. He is that in Fleming's world. And yeah, Yes. In in this one it's it's nicely painted. Yeah. Especially I liked Bond's kind of when they first meet in a professional capacity as as boss and subordinate and, and Bond mentions having met him in the elevator a few times and you yeah, know, yeah. there is this sort of trepidation and this sort of respect I thought was a pretty cool way to and, and it, of course mention of the cold grey blue eyes which always get the mention mm-hmm. but, um, yeah it's good M, M's not even enough for my liking I would like a little bit more M in this but more hopefully M. Horowitz, more M would have been good yeah. It was a perfect amount for me. <laughs> Give me the briefing. Yeah. Give me the debriefing. Get out of there. That's what it. about the check-in? We need a check-in, Brandon. That's Tanner. check-in that, in the field. You wouldn't, you wouldn't check in to the head of section. You would check in True. to the chief of staff. True. And True. that's what I mean. The Bill Tanner character should be better fleshed out. The chief of staff is... It's, he's... The person, the, uh, pretty much the only person Bond can truly trust. This is what I'm saying. You gotta listen to me. I'm telling you. <laughs> what about May? Oh, the old Scottish housekeeper. Yeah, we only get a brief. I think put her in we're the in film. Bond's... Hey, put her in the films. I don't know oh, about putting yeah. her in the films. Yeah, go why, on. why do you want her in the films? Well, because she's in the novels. <laughs> do you think she becomes a little bit too much uh, the Sherlock Holmes character? Mrs. Watson. Uh, not Mrs. Mrs. No. Watson. Uh, <laughs> Mrs. Is Holmes got a housekeeper? Mrs. Tippett. Yeah. Mrs. Mrs. Something. Mrs. Nesbitt. Nesbitt. <laughs> Nesbitt. 
Brett, uh, Jake, you said something controversial off air. You said you don't want Money Penny in the next one. Yeah. You want Ponsonby. Really a Ponsonby. Mm. I stay, uh, do you stand by that? I think that's a good idea. I stand by that. I, I don't know about completely omitting Money Penny. Well, uh, again, just look here. Have both. Por que no los dos? I th- yeah, 100%. I, one, of, one of my favorite uh, early moments when I was first reading this, because I will say, side note, this is the only James Bond novel that I have gone back to a second time. Oh. Um, well, you and, actually haven't really touched many of the novels. But. And uh, No, no, that's true. That's true. But one of my first kind of early loves of this was having Bond, that chapter, I think it's chapter three, where he has his first day. And he goes back in and he meets Lilia and he gets his desk. And I don't know, seeing Bond work in a cubicle and then get promoted into the double O thing. And I'd love to see all that kind of stuff. And I think him having a, a, a PA, a secretary, a personal assistant, someone that he works with very closely, I think that's a really interesting dynamic to throw into the cinematic world of Bond that we haven't seen before. Because let's be honest, Moneypenny is M's. Secretary. Hmm. She's down the hall, out in front of his office. He doesn't go in the field. It's none of this bloody, you know, chasing around well, with the whole Avengers assemble. You're not suggesting Lilia Ponsonby go in the field, though, are you? No, I'm not suggesting Lilia. No, good, good, good. I'm just able to help themselves. Have more to do with Lilia Ponsonby. She'd be in the film, in the field oh, by the third movie. 100%. She'd be in the field. Yeah. Yeah. I reckon she'd be in there by the third act. I would say this I don't think Lelia Ponsonby works outside of the 50s Oh, I don't think it makes sense for a modern day there's still modern day really anyone yeah but and personal assistance Bond's not the head of anything he's just another employee but he's in a department she's the secretary to the double O department it's a pretty big job but he's not a manager of any no, she, she reports manager. up she reports up she helps him she helps him organize and and keeps the double o's because there's three at this mm. point and then you know so she's managing that pot i reckon she's the person that's booking the flights that's booking the accommodation that's sorting yeah. out what's going to go here there and here and where and whatever's happening but in his nowadays yeah. that would be like a Anima. department of fucking, you know. No, it would still be people. a personal assistant, I think. It would be a PA. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if That's it would be do. in the in the secret service. You need service. to talk to someone from MI6. Because this is my I, thing. I, I w- a secretary only. Because Money Penny doesn't really make a whole lot of sense either. Um, in 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 the modern day, um, because that's what your chief of staff and that. Uh, Money Penny, I can see slightly more, um, but the Double O's having their own personal secretary to type up their reports and everything. I was a bit like, I feel like they just—it's a co- just simply not even like the the gender or whatever, blah blah blah. Just the cost cutting. I think now that we have personal computers and and whatever, I think I just think they would be like, nope, you you fucking do it on our on our system. And you do it in your little shitty cubicle, James, and then you can go out and drive your fucking Aston Martin Bentley Corvette. <laughs> I but did like the cars. Lelia could work in the fifties. Yeah, she. Yeah, 
I I think that she could. She would need a little bit of tinkering, but I think she could work in the present day. But you would have to rethink how you use Money Penny, or if Money Penny even appears. She probably have to go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I can see how, you know, especially if M would rely on more like a man, not a man, but <laughs> would rely on someone like Tanner, you know, to do yeah. the Money Penny heavy lifting then I think someone like Lilia may not just be responsible for the double O section, but maybe she's got a bit of work to do in running the ship. From but a don't procedural... you think that the, the cinematic universe of Bond has fluffed up Money Penny to be more than what she actually would be? Like if you, if you think about it, the, the, the M would have an, an assistant or a secretary purely yeah. sitting at a desk on the other side she of his, his schedule giving people access of like, yes, he'll see you now. Mm. Yes. Um, and that's it. She organises his calendar and tells him which emails to reply to. So you and then replies to the rest of them with his signature. You the know Prime what I mean? Minister's online one. Yes. yes. Exactly. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Hudson. Mrs. Hudson. Hudson. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's Mrs. Hudson. <laughs> Do we have anyone else that we've missed that we want to give a mention to? Darbs was about to say that he liked the cars. Yeah. He liked the cars. There's a couple mm. of good cars. There's a few Citroens. Uh, and the descriptions of the cars were nice. He always, uh, well, not he always because he's not Ian Fleming. But uh, <laughs> he captured in, uh, Fleming's um, habit of describing a car as a sort of beast or monster. You know, it's mm. got a downturned nose with sharp edges and yada, yada, yada. But there's a couple of, there's a Citroen Coupe that's in there. Bond drives a, uh, oh, I can't remember now. What's Bond driving at the start? Oh, Bond mentions the fact that he's got a car. He doesn't really like it. garage? Yeah. That he's like, that one day he'd like to, fix up or something but he doesn't really like it because it's super not quick enough doesn't have the pickup yeah it's sluggish or something yeah. makes a lot of noise but doesn't have the speed or agility or something i think it's it's the car because he gets the bentley and then in like the fourth or fifth novel he gets another new car again remember that's right yeah so gets i think a, this is the aston martin that's right right the and let's not forget that before this story james bond could have potentially been a, a Formula, Formula One Grand Prix driver. <laughs> yes. Not even Formula One, yeah, Grand Prix. Well, it would have been the Grand Prix, I suppose, mm. back in, uh, yes, mentioned in Moonraker that he used to race. Yeah. He can do it all. He can sometime, do it all. Sometime between now and the Second World War, I don't know. Oh, I just want to, one for the fact check before mm. we get to our ratings. Um would the firework bomb really have worked? Oh, on the ship. On the ship. He empties a whole bunch of firework powder mm. into a fire extinguisher. I suppose it's just gunpowder, isn't it? Really? And then it does enough damage Fireworks. to mm. Yeah, I think they put magnesium in it to give it the bright light. Did you love his description? It was the most beautiful explosion he'd ever seen. Yeah. Flashes of green and pink. Because <laughs> where does he end up packing it into on the actual ship itself? Next to the... 
there's a it's described as the seawater intake that cools the engine yeah so he targets that in the hopes that it will burst and flood the lower bank which it does which it does um, and then so the steam does. yeah and the steam oh how's the titanic ending did you like the titanic moment uh, well, she slips away yeah both in the water but very vespa very james cameron's titanic <laughs> i liked it i didn't mind it, it. Yeah. yeah i see what you mean with titanic ending you know saying goodbye to jack but um... yeah there's room for two on that door <laughs> but it's also very vespa very yeah very vespa in the movie yeah yeah mm. very much so um i thought it was a really well handled death actually yeah yeah um, i felt yeah and i like i will say that Bond's sorry reaction oh, sorry. oh no no you go you go no 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 because i was going to change the subject so that doesn't sound like you um no, I, I I thought Bond's reaction to it as well was quite um, quite powerful. It wasn't it wasn't overly, you know, it wasn't an overly romantic uh, version of her. It wasn't you know, like it wasn't an idealized version of that re- of that relationship. It just felt like, damn, gone. damn, we she's gone. Mm. Yeah. That's I yeah. That's I thought luck. it was one of the the best villain deaths I've ever seen. Oh, Already. which one? Scipio's death. Scipio's death. How good. Yeah. He's Bond. They stumble across him as they're trying to flee the ship, and he's stuck halfway because he's so big and fat. He's yeah. stuck in a in a climbing a ladder between floors, and he's got half of his torso poking out and his wig has come off and the water's slowly filling up. And then I think Horowitz describes the water as uh, when it seeps into his mouth, that the water enjoys itself. Or so there's like <laughs> a line like that as it kind of, he's trying to, <laughs> I thought it was a pretty cool death. Fat man Brutal. getting stuck. Brutal. Yeah. I think my favorite death is Reed Griffiths because it really is just like, boom. Just dispatches him. Yeah, straight between the eyes. Well, I think we should maybe get to our ranking then. I reckon. Uh, well, rating, I should say, not ranking. Um, I'll go first, if you like. Please. I'll keep it short and sweet. I'm going to give this 9 out of 10. Uh, it's shaken, 100% shaken for me. Um, I don't know if it's... I think this and Moonraker are dead even for me. And I'll be reading this again. And I think if you haven't, as a Bond fan, if you have not read this, if you've been trepidatious, if you've been, uh, you know, haven't had the time, make the time, find the time, read this. Uh, I cannot wait to read the next Anthony Horowitz book. The, this was terrific. What an endorsement from what MIC. What an endorsement. Put that on the book cover. That's it. I'm going to. Uh, That's I'm a contemporary gonna, review. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to back that. I'm going to say it's a shaken nine for me too. Bloody loved it. Um, the only thing stopping it from a ten is just the the slight tinkering with with legacy. Um, would have liked a bit more editing, but maybe the next one will be a ten. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. 
if I'm going to be giving Casino and Moonraker perfect scores, you can bet this is a 10 out of 10. <laughs> Boys, I bloody love it. And I think this is really the first one that I have genuinely felt I will be revisiting. Um, you already have. And I already have. I bloody loved it. I was, to Darby's very first question, I was a bit nervous going in because I didn't know what to expect. It was our first venture away from the Fleming novels, but I was in such good hands from the very first page and I would echo Brandon's um, pledge uh, to everyone. Go out, get yourself a copy, enjoy some Horowitz. Um, Eon, get this guy on the payroll. Um, I want to see his name on the credits for the next film. Uh, it's a great read. You won't regret it. Yeah. 10 out of 10 for me. It's a perfect score. Bring on Trigger Mortis. Mm, bring it on. All right, dead serious, so Anthony Horowitz for for the film. For president. For president. For president. President. Like, Sir Anthony Horowitz, president. Give this United man a knighthood. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, gentlemen, thank you very much for, 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 for donating your time to do this. Uh, Can't get back now. We will be releasing this when we it's release tax it. Deductible. Uh, yeah, we can work that. We can work that all out. I, I'm talking with your accountants at the moment, actually, about um, the previous financial year. Um, you didn't tell my accountant where I've been, have you? No, 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 no. Top secret, old man. Uh, gentlemen, we won't say what our next episode is, will we? No. Yeah. We yeah. will. Go well, on, yeah. Darby. Because uh, I forget. Our next episode. Ladies and gentlemen, 0058. No, 59. Is, this is 58. This is 57. Oh, is it? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I think No Time to Die was 56. Yeah, it was. Yeah, there's too many. We need to cut back. Um, <laughs> uh, what am I doing again? Oh, yeah, next mission. We, we did a failed mission, which we have touched on in the past. We failed a mission. We recorded half a podcast and got yeah, sabotaged. Sabotaged. Faulty, faulty Xbox. We're going to get an emulator. We're going to bring back the video game series. Bring back the video games. We've got a whole bunch of episodes coming for you this year, ladies and gentlemen. We've got 100 years, 100 episodes. He's uh, Brandon, he's freaking out. Stop him. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, 100, 100 years and 100 episodes. An episode for every year. Every year. <laughs> 58, 58 will be Quantum Solace. 2008's video game adaptation, Quantum Solace. That's and we'll right. try and get past the first level this time. Hopefully. You bet we will. Well, thank you, everyone. If you're watching this on YouTube, please like, subscribe, comment, share. Uh, and uh, you know what? You're all dirty devils, and it's good to be back. And um, harass us to keep making these, okay? Leave me alone. Yeah, leave Darby alone, though. Nah, go him. You want to? Go him, huh? Go on. 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 Go on.